0: Welcome to the Hello Mornings podcast, where our goal is to inspire and equip you to build a grace-filled, life-giving morning routine. Now, my name is Kat Lee, and today we're talking with author Jessica Turner about what mornings look like in her very, very full life. And we'll also discuss some practical ways that we can set boundaries and create margin in the midst of busyness when it feels like we're really just kind of stretched too thin. But before we dive into our chat today with Jessica, I wanted to take a minute and let you know that every week I send out a Hello Mornings Habits email. Isn't that a cute name? Hello Mornings Habits. It's even got a cute little header. And this email is designed to help eliminate some of the overwhelm we feel when trying to build a morning routine. And every week we just focus on one small way we can improve our mornings. And I would love to have you join in. I also send out some special coupons and a few of my favorite finds every single week. So go to hellomornings.org forward slash habits to sign up before I send out this week's email. All right, let's dive into our chat today with Jessica Turner. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the Hello Mornings podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Before we dive too deep into it or get started, really, tell us a little bit about you and what you do.
1: I work full-time in corporate America in healthcare in Nashville. I am a mom to three kids. They are 10, 7, and three and a half. My husband, Matthew, is a full-time writer and photographer. He writes children's books. So I'm grateful that he has the flexibility of working from home. So he does a lot of the drop-offs and pickups and sports practices and that sort of thing. Um, additionally, I have a blog called The Mom Creative. I actually started blogging 12 years ago. So wow, a, a bit of a blogging dinosaur. So um, that site is the mom And there I write just about managing a busy life and cultivating a life well crafted. So and you also you write books. Too. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And I forgot about that. I do write books and I've got a new book out. So yes, all the things, basically, all the things. Okay, Well, if you can just
0: hang on, because I need to go to take a nap, just listening <laughs> to everything that you do, because, you know, I I am a mom of three kids and I have a blog slash podcast really. And I wrote one book and I'm, a- I'm already tired. I'm already kind of I'm not gonna be cheesy here, but I'm going to be stretched too thin, which is actually the title <laughs> of your new book. See what I did there? I um, do. Yeah. And so I I'm honestly really excited to talk to you about how you set boundaries, how you make the most of that time. I loved hearing about um how you and your husband balance stuff because I was actually wondering about that, because you work full time, you write, you blog, and three kids that are at a very um, key age where they have stuff starting to be going on in places that they need to be. And uh, so, yeah. So, okay. So, let's start. Let's start at the very beginning. I don't know how many people. It's always listen- a, yeah, Yes. What always were you going to say?
1: I was going to say that's always a good place to start, the very beginning, right? That's awesome.
0: <laughs> how many people listening have Maria Von Trapp
1: going right, through their exactly, head right now, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Sorry. We didn't I even script myself. that.
0: No, that's perfect because I was actually going to say something like that. So, That was perfect. Okay, that was not scripted. Y'all, that was free. Okay, so let's start (laughs) at the very beginning. A great place to start. What does your morning look like with all that going on?
1: So certainly in the past two months, it's been a little different because I have been working this full-time corporate job and I'm launching a book, which is basically like giving birth to a child, right? So there's, there's a lot of work. So in this particular season, I am working before I go to work. Um, but that isn't the norm every single day. So, um, I'll give more of my, general morning routine, maybe not specifically around book launch, because mm-hmm. book launch is really exhausting and, and I think sort of an anomaly. Well, and um, I,
0: I think that's a really great key that you've already pointed out is that seasons look different. And if, if we're too rigid about what our morning looks like, then we tend to break. And so
1: Everybody's going to have a different season and our morning routine needs to bend with it. So love that already. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I have two books out. So my first book is called The Fringe Hours, Making Time for You. And that book is all about self-care. I talk a lot about morning routines in there. And then my new book, Stretch Too Thin, How Working Moms Can Lose the Guilt, Work Smarter and Thrive. Mornings are a part of that as well because it is so important that you start your day, I think, focusing on you. It's that oxygen mask philosophy that you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of everyone else. And on the mornings that I take care of myself, I find that I'm a better mom, I'm a better coworker, I'm a better friend, and I'm just a better human when I've done that. So generally speaking, the morning routine looks like this. A couple mornings a week, I've started walking um, just because I hate physical activity. (laughs) Um, It's just something I've always hated. When I was in third grade, I used to volunteer to correct papers for my teacher so I wouldn't have to go play on the playground. (laughs) That's awesome. It has just always not been something I find very fun, but I have really enjoyed doing the morning walks. I listen to podcasts, I pray, I think, I um, just quiet myself before I go head first into a busy day because every day is busy with three kids and a full time job. Um, so do the walk, and then on the other mornings, I'll usually do some writing. On those mornings, I'll do some blogging, I'll answer some emails, tend to some of that type of thing, and then I get ready for the day. And I will say, I'm a huge reader. I have a separate Instagram just for books because I love talking books so much called book snobbery. And so often I squeeze in a little bit of reading while I blow dry my hair and put my makeup on and curl my hair. Okay, like wait. That. So
0: I, I need I need the logistics. How do you read a book while you're doing all those things? Do you have like a stand for
1: your I book? I don't have a stand. You know, I don't mind breaking
0: spine. Do you have a third above. arm?
1: I, no, but I will occasionally, depending on the book's flexibility, use my um, toothpaste to hold down the book <laughs> and and that will suffice. I'll move that toothpaste tube down the page um, as need be. So I'll read while I'm blow drying my hair and I'll read while I'm curling my hair. And Have you ever burnt your hair on a really good chapter? No, that's I have good. not. That's, oh, that's good. That's a pro right yeah. there. Yep, that's never happened. Um, and then obviously, doing the makeup's a little harder to be reading at that same yeah. time. But occasionally, I'll take a peek in between things, you know, or while well, I'm washing my hands. So. Are these usually so- fiction or nonfiction books? They're usually fiction. Um, I don't read a whole lot of nonfiction, which I think is interesting given that I'm a nonfiction author, (laughs) but I mostly read fiction. I'd listen to nonfiction. I enjoy memoir uh, a nonfiction. Obviously, memoir is nonfiction, but enjoy memoir and audiobook. um, So that's usually how I consume that type of content. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm not very good at reading um, nonfiction
0: books, like visually, I have to listen to them while I'm doing other stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm also not very good at reading fiction books, because then I'm like, I kind of don't cook or clean or bathe, <laughs> I just get so caught up in the book. And then it's 3am. And I'm like, shoot,
1: I so I'm, I'm
0: not out. you sound like you're great at managing your time. Do you just read a couple pages? Or what does that look like? Yeah.
1: <sighs> Yeah, usually it's a couple pages. If it's a really good book, I've been known to be reading it in the parking lot at work <laughs> or taking it with me as I'm walking to the bathroom, you know, just to squeeze in a few more pages. But yeah, you know, it, it adds up to a few pages, a few extra pages in the morning. And that adds up to extra chapters and extra books at the mm-hmm. end of the year. So um, I always tease that, you know, if I'm spending five minutes a day blow drying my hair, maybe 10, by the time we take curling into account, you know, that adds up to, mm-hmm an hour a week, four hours a month, 12 months. That's a lot of reading that I'm doing while everyone else is just looking at themselves in the mirror. So, <laughs> so that's one way that you get more out of your day. I love that. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
0: do you have a specific breakfast that you like to eat every day? Any kind of, do you drink coffee? I
1: don't drink coffee. I drink a bottle of water every morning with Plexus, which is a supplement um, for gut health that I really enjoy. So I take the, I have that in the morning. And I really love like kind of a Whole30 breakfast, like a breakfast hash with some chicken or some bacon or something like that. That's my go-to breakfast if I've batch cooked that and have that available or I've had a little extra time in the morning to throw that in the oven. Otherwise, I'm known to either do it like a Chobani and just mm-hmm. have some of that with some fruit or a smoothie.
0: Nice. So, you do all this and you don't drink coffee. That's
1: I know, impressive. I and
0: you're a writer and you drink, don't drink coffee.
1: I know. I just am messing everything up. No, it's all awesome. the stereotypes. It's <laughs> awesome. It's showing everybody
0: that you don't need to do things a certain way, but you just, you do, you. I, I have one question about the walking thing. So, that part of Hello Mornings is you know making healthy choices so that we have the energy to do the things that God has called us to. I love how you um, you walk because I guess it's one of the things that you don't mind doing or maybe even enjoy doing. Did you have to arrive at that? Did you ever, you know, kind of have that internal battle of, oh, I need to do, you know, uh, PX, P90X or whatever. Or I need to do these bigger things. And then you finally came to the realization that I don't like to do those things. I just want to walk. Or you just did you
1: just go straight to what you knew that you like to do? Honestly, it was none of those things. I have had a lot of surgery in the past year. And so physically couldn't do bar class or yoga, which I do really enjoy doing, um, because most recently I had a hysterectomy at the very beginning of the summer. And so I was not allowed to do anything that involved ab workouts until the end of August. And so I just needed to get moving. I was in bed for... A month and had a really hard recovery. And this was the fifth surgery and I think seven or eight months. So wow. I just, my body had been through a lot. And so I had been through a season where I wasn't very physically active. And I was like, you know what? I need to stop making excuses of all of these health things that I have dealt with. And I just need to do something. Mm -hmm. And so I woke up one morning and I said, I'm going for a a walk. Is that okay? My husband looked at me and he said, sure, of course, that's okay, Because he's someone who goes to the gym almost every day. And I just got outside and started walking. I also got a lot of accountability because I Instagram storied while I walked. And then other people started walking or encouraging me and looking forward to those. And then I went through a season with the book where I was having to work in the morning before going to work and I wasn't walking. And my husband really noticed that, hey, babe, there's a difference here. Like you need to take a little bit of time for yourself. You cannot be working 24 seven, which is, you know, preaching to the choir. Hello, I just wrote a book called Stretch Too Thin and (laughs) that's what I'm living. And so got back into that habit and it's been really, really good. I love that. So do you do any sort of morning journaling? What does that look like? I don't do any morning journaling. I am the most productive in the morning. So I do journaling in the evening and I'm not a long form journaler. I like like the 52 list book. I like those little books where you just write one memory from the day and those types of things. So Mm -hmm. those tend to be the written ways that I document. Um, But no, I'm not a long form journaler. So as a writer...
0: Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not actually either. I like the lists. What is it that you don't like writing? You don't think that way. Like my actual reason for not being a long form journaler is that as I'm writing, I'm paranoid that somebody's going to find it <laughs> and it's going to be poorly written. And so it stresses me out. And so I just prefer writing lists because then I, I don't, that way when I go back and read it, I'm just reading a list as opposed to reading and then thinking, Oh, I really don't like the way I wrote that. What makes you just more of a, a list person?
1: always enjoyed lists. I honestly, journaling isn't something that is gratifying to me. Mm. And so I think that it's important to recognize just because the world appears to do it, right? Just because the world drinks coffee, just because the world journals doesn't mean that you have to do it. It's not something that I've ever enjoyed doing. I've tried doing it my whole life. I have many journals that I've written about seven pages in and then the rest (laughs) is blank. Like it's just not something that I enjoy doing with my time. And so I think that's okay. I I think there's lots of ways for me to leave a legacy, for me to get my thoughts down, uh, for me to tell stories, and it doesn't have to be through long-form journaling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So good. So let's see, where did we leave off? So you you go for a walk and then – where I come we? home. You come I, home. I, well, I shower. Go. I get. Kids are awake by this point, and you know they're getting ready. We've got a wipe off chart where they know what they need to do every morning. So it's more just keeping their eyes on that chart. Have you done this? Have you done this? But not having to hound them quite as much. I get ready. I'm helping kids get ready while I'm getting ready in our downstairs bathroom. My husband takes them to school at about 7.35, and then I leave for the office at 7.45. And then my commute time is a great time for me to invest in myself. I usually am listening to an audiobook or a podcast during that time. Sometimes I'll connect with friends, though it's pretty early to be making phone calls. Some of my East Coast friends um, I can chat with at that time. Um, and sometimes it is planning time for work where I'm having a conference call or something like that, but not too often. Are there
0: any apps that you use like do you track your walks? Do you have an app for planning? Do you have a you know, a Bible reading
1: app or a to-do list app that you enjoy? I wish I did. I am a bit of a grandma when it comes to my phone. And I don't really like apps. I see their purpose and their value. But I think because I work at a computer all day long, my I have my blog, I have social media, I just feel like I'm attached to a screen enough that yeah. I don't want every single part of my life to be digitized. Mm-hmm. So I am not a huge app person. It drives my husband crazy because he'll go to my phone and I'll have all these apps that need to be you know, updated. And I'm like, I didn't notice because I don't ever use them.
0: (laughs) I'm the same way. I I love the idea of an app that's going to be really helpful. But nine times out of 10, I don't use it. And I just go back to the basic notes app for just about everything. So, So exactly. In your new book, you talk a lot about how thriving looks different for each of us. And we've kind of touched on that, that, you know, walking or going to bar classes or yoga or whatever exercise looks different for each of us or journaling looks different for each of us or a morning drink looks different for each of us if thriving looks different for each of us how do you define thriving
1: thriving is i think a feeling of contentment i talk a lot about in the book going from surviving to thriving and i when you're thriving you don't feel like there's constantly something that's falling through the cracks. You don't feel overwhelmed and exhausted all the time. It, it's a place of satisfaction in our work at homes and how things are going with our families and our marriage, and that sort of thing. And it, it's about contentment, really. Mm-hmm. And whatever that looks like for you, that's, and that's going to look different for you than it is for me than someone who's listening. And so we have to identify that in our own lives before we're able to really thrive. So good. I think a lot of times, especially
0: with social media, it's so easy to have this predetermined idea of what success, what thriving, what happiness or whatever look like. Uh, But that's not necessarily what it's going to look like for us. We might not enjoy, you know, book writing or doing crafts or going for a walk or whatever the thing might be that we see somebody else enjoying. And um, a lot of it just comes down to us understanding what really fills us and what doesn't. Um, so you talk some about understanding our mental load and kind of how the amount of things that we manage and have to remember every day can be exhausting, which it totally can. And a lot of times that mental load kind of wakes up with us in the morning and it can keep us from connecting with the Lord or planning, we sit down to plan in the morning, plan out our day, and then we start to feel overwhelmed. How do you manage your mental load? And then what are some habits or systems that have helped you?
1: mental load was such a freeing thing for me to understand as I was doing the research for Stretch Too Thin. You know, really, it's the habit of noticing all of those things, you know, from kids needing new shoes to doctor's appointments to changing the light bulb, all of those things. And so for me, I always have paper with me. I always have a small journal in my purse, always accessible on my desk. And so I would jot those things down. So they're out of my head. I also have had a lot of conversations. With my husband, and feel like we're in a really good place in terms of delegating some of those things that I think earlier in our marriage and earlier in my journey as a mom, I felt like I needed to do all of those things and I've come to realize that I do not and that he is more than willing to help, but he's not in my head, so I have to say, hey, can you do this, mm-hmm. right? So it's delegating and also teaching my kids to do things um, is really important because then that lessens the load. So those are those are a few thoughts that I have on that. I, I think recognizing what mental load is and maybe how big your load is in your own life, and then figuring out what are conversations I might need to have or changes that I might need to make to lighten that, and so that that burden of responsibility isn't solely on you. Mm -hmm. Because when we have it all
0: floating around in our head, it can feel so much more overwhelming than if we just take a minute, like you said, and write it down on paper. And sometimes just seeing it on paper... I think, oh, that's not as bad (laughs) as when it was in my head. It felt so overwhelming when it was in there. And now when I see it on paper, it feels
1: a little bit easier to manage. Right. And, and, you know, I think a lot of times when I have something down on a list and I can cross that off, it is so freeing, but I need to get it out of my head and onto that list. I know recently I had a pretty big to-do list that I was going to try to accomplish in a couple hours. And it was all tasks related to my website and the book launch. And I sat and did every one of those things. And one of those items had been floating in my head for about six weeks And it was something super simple that I just needed to send to my assistant and have her take care of. And I sent that email. It took me probably two minutes to get that over to her. And she had it done the next day. And I was like, man, that had been waiting on me for weeks and weeks and weeks. And all I needed to do was get it on that task list and then get it taken care of. Why do you think you didn't do it? I think I have control issues. And I think that I thought that it was something that I should do. Um, it, in this particular case, it was for a new affiliate relationship on my blog. And it was with a new company and a new system that I hadn't used. It wasn't in like share or sale, commission junction, which I use a lot. And because it felt new, I thought, oh, I need to learn this first instead of just delegating it. I didn't need to learn it. And Man, I don't know how much income I missed out on by not having – it was something related to summertime and it was, you know, the end of summer when she finally got that on there. So, um, you know, I just think I need to be better about letting go sometimes. And I'm learning. I'm learning. And every time I do something like that, I'm like, see, what else – is hanging out in your head that you could have somebody else do. Yes. And,
0: you know, I think that's a great example of it felt like a bigger thing, like a more important thing. Well, I guess I need to take care of it than maybe it actually was. Was that an anomaly for you? I know for me, I often have a list of things that would probably take me. I actually, actually, as I write my to-do list next to it, I write out how much time I think that task will take. And inevitably what clogs up my to-do list are all these things that will take five to 15 minutes, but there's just something about them. That I just am not moving forward on. Was that an anomaly for you, or do you have those little things that clog your system as well?
1: Oh, I think we all have those things. There's a great book called "Eat That Frog," and have you read it? Are you I familiar have not. With the concept? It's like Brian Tacey or something, right? Tracy. I, I don't. I don't yeah. even know who the author is. Um, but it, the concept is. I don't remember if it was. It's an Eastern. Um, phrase, eat that frog. And the idea is that you eat like the biggest, hardest thing on your list first Mm -hmm. and just get rid of that. And then you will be free to do all the other things. But what we so often do is we do all the other things and we never eat that frog. Yes. And my friend Courtney and I, she's a colleague of mine at work and we share an office and we often talk about the frog, like what is the frog that we have to do today? Or I finally took care of that frog. And so I think that a lot of times those five to 15 minute tasks are frogs for us mm-hmm. that we just need to eat and be so free when we've done that. Mm-hmm. I love that you have your friend, Courtney, to kind of
0: bounce off of and maybe even keep each other accountable. I wonder if, you know, for me and maybe those of us listening for like, oh, could I have a frog accountability partner? Is there somebody that I could call and like maybe every week or so we're like, hey, okay, these are the frogs that I need to eat. If you have this conversation at a coffee shop, you may want to clarify because people may be eavesdropping and (laughs) wondering what you're talking about. But I love that you, you mentioned her and that you guys talk about what that could be. And I wonder if that'd be something that all of
1: us could learn from and benefit from as well. Absolutely. I was in a mastermind group and we all had those things, those big tasks that we needed to do and holding each other accountable because we knew that at that next group meeting a month later, we were going to have to say if we accomplished that really made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And it's very motivating to have that accountability. I think so. I just read this book called Willpower Doesn't Work.
0: I don't know if you've Read it. It's really, really good, and I think it's called a a forcing function, is what he calls it. I think it's even maybe a psychology term where you you have things like maybe a meeting that you're going to go to, and you need to be accountable to that. And so, just these different boundaries that you set up for yourself to help you make the choices that you want to make. And I was like, oh, that's I need to set up more of those life, more of those in my life, because it's when we have to, when we have that deadline or that person that we need to be accountable to, that we're so much more likely to actually.
1: Do the thing and get it done. Absolutely. It's been really an interesting process for me with this particular book launch, because when my first book, The Fringe Hours, released, I was actually on maternity leave with my three-year-old. I had him, and then six weeks later, I released the book. So I was on maternity leave, so all I was doing was nursing and working on book launch stuff, whereas this time, I've had my full-time job while having the book launch, and so I've had to rely on other people and have had to be very willing to delegate because I just don't have the capacity. And sometimes I think it takes seasons of being at capacity for us to realize, man, I really need help. And when you get that help and you see how things keep moving and going really well, I think it then invigorates you to ask for help more often.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as you're trying to decide what to to delegate now, so just for everybody listening, I know you might be like, "Okay, well, I've never launched a book or maybe I've not been on maternity leave or maybe I don't have a full- time job. But we all have seasons where we are pushed and challenged to our limits. And we need to delegate whether that delegation actually be delegating to someone or delegating to some sort of automated system that we sit down and come up with, like a you know, a rotating meal plan or whatever. Or if delegation means putting it in file, is it file thirteen? Is how they call it. Like putting in the, you know, I'm not going to do this into the trash bin. Um, how do you decide what to delegate to get rid of, or what just not to do when you're in seasons like this?
1: A couple different things. One is it worth my time for me to do this? Like it, I have a finite amount of time. Is this the best use of my time? is there somebody who can do it as well or better than me? Um, Sometimes it's, do I have the financial resources to delegate this? Um, That can can be a factor in making that decision. But I think realizing what things you are the only person who can do that and what things someone else can do it, maybe not 100% as well as you, but good enough well. Like, good enough is good enough, right? Mm And so... I think learning that lesson that good enough is the new perfect and being very comfortable with that has led me to be able to delegate a lot more often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm a huge proponent of services and systems as well. So my whole house I think is automated through Amazon Prime and Growth Collaborative and Target.com. Like everything comes to my house. So I don't have to do those grocery, the, you know, Target run and those types of things as often as I used to. Um, same with grocery shopping. We automate that and a lot of that happens just regularly through shipped, where it just comes right to our house. Like, do I enjoy grocery shopping? Yes. Do I feel like I maybe save a little money if I do it myself versus having someone do it for me? Yes. But on the weeks where I am at capacity, that's a really easy way to get some time back. And I absolutely do not need to be the one who is buying my apples and my salad mix.
0: Right. And actually, I found that when I, when I have the store pick out the stuff for me, half the time, they pick it up better than I do. So... You know, maybe maybe others listening are better at picking out their produce. But for me, it's been a boon when I have them do it because my avocados are actually ready when I get them. Um, right. right?
1: <laughs> and so, you're not impulse buying, right? Like, um, you're not, oh, all the bogos, I'm going to buy yes. all of these things, you yes. know. So, Be- because um, I love
0: shopping with my kids. I don't like going to the store by myself. I love when they come with me. And that's expensive. Exactly. <laughs> so you talk also about self-care. And... You know, I think for some people, they're like self-care. That's kind of a woo-woo phrase. I mean, not really, but I I don't think a lot of people take it as seriously as they should in the sense of, like you talked about earlier, um, putting the the, um, air mask on, like when you're in an airplane first so that you can then take care of those around us. Um, What are some of the maybe habits or systems that you that are around self-care that you have developed, maybe even specifically Um, around our mornings, that would be life-giving to those listening.
1: The number one habit is that I wake up early, giving me plenty of time for myself. If I wake up with just enough time to get out the door, and in my case, get my family out the door... I am an unhappy person. (laughs) I have to have time for myself to do things that I love that fill me up before I go into the day. And so the biggest encouragement that I have for people is to wake up early and make that a priority. And people will say to me, oh, I'm not a morning person. That's not something that would be true for me. But I'm telling you, set your alarm even just 15 minutes early. And I promise the transformation that it will make on your mind, body and spirit makes it worth that 15 minute difference on your alarm clock. Have you had to figure out how to go to bed earlier or do you just naturally get a good amount of sleep? I'm pretty good about getting enough sleep. Generally speaking, I would say my husband and I go to bed between 9.30 and 10 and are up at 5. So that's 7, 7.5 hours. There have been weeks where I've been known to go to bed at 8.30 or 9. Um, so again, because I'm so on in the morning, I'm very tired by the evening. I'm not very productive in the evening. So I have no problem with going to bed.
0: You don't stay up surfing Instagram or checking the news or randomly Googling whether or not elephants have ears or giraffes have ears or anything random like that.
1: You know, the only thing that I can admit to is if I bring my phone with me, if I'm going to take a long bath at night and I bring my phone in with the ba- to take my bath, I will find myself spending way too much time scrolling on Instagram. And so it's gotten to be that I, if I bring my phone in the bathroom, I'll leave it on the counter so I can't access it. But if someone calls and I need to get out, I could certainly do that because I do find that that can be a temptation for me.
0: You know, I I read in a book that so the reason that we get snacky at night, you know, like we want suddenly at night we want chips or candy or something is that because our bodies are like, oh, well, this person, cat is trying to stay up. That means there's a reason for her staying up even though she's tired. That must mean that she needs to be alert in case there are like bears around. Like if, you know, our body doesn't know whether we live in the suburbs or the country or whatever. So, our body naturally wants that um hit of glucose or just whatever's going to be processed super quick, like sugar, candy, that sort of thing. And I think that our brains, this is this is totally pop psychology. I'm making this up, but I think it makes sense. I think our brains tend to be the same way. If we're, you know, in the bathtub or on the couch and we have our phone, we want, we're kind of maybe getting tired, but then we want that dopamine hit of, ooh, what's next? Because I'm already awake. I'm not trying to sleep. So my brain is kind of like something needs to happen And so that's that tends to be why I scroll on Instagram or check the news. And so I've taken to, okay, if I'm tempted to do that, I'm like, okay, wait, there's no bears around. I'm safe. I don't need to, you know, get that dopamine hit or or eat that extra bag of candy or whatever. And it helps me to make that decision to go to sleep instead of stay up because it's totally a temptation, especially since I have teenagers. And so once they're in bed, the house is quiet and I just want to enjoy it. But I know that morning is going to come. And I'm going to want to get up early, like you said, and I can't do that if I'm going to bed at 1 a.m. So there's there's my, there's my psychology. Look at you. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I don't know if it's true or not. It makes sense. Yeah. I think it makes sense, which is the basis of all psychology. <laughs> um, okay. So we live in a very busy culture. And honestly, we all have so much going on, whether... Whether or not we're accountable to different people like you are in the sense of you have a publisher, you have a boss, you have your family, or, you know, if those listening, if you're a stay-at-home mom or a student and you really kind of have one focus, then you tend to kind of go deeper in that focus and you might have feel like you're more accountable in the area of, you know, cooking or cleaning or taking your test or whatever it might be. With all the busyness we have going on, how can we simplify our lives
1: a little bit? I think saying no is something that we need to do more of. I think often our yeses are motivated by guilt or what we think is the right decision or the thing we should do instead of what we actually are passionate about or have capacity for. And what I have learned time and time again is that I never regret saying no, but I often regret saying yes. Mm-hmm. And so it is easier to make the harder choice initially and say no than it is to say yes and then have to live out that yes.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. What would you say to the woman listening who's like,
1: I don't really know what I'm passionate about yet? That is actually something that's very common among women, Kat. You know, it has been so long since they invested in themselves because of investing in school and work and families. I once had a woman come up to me at a conference and we were talking about identifying your passions. And she says, you know, I don't think I've done anything just for me since before I had kids. And I said, well, how long has it been? Thinking it's probably just been a, a couple years. And she said, it's been 13 years. It had been 13 years since she had lost track of time doing something that she loved. And that just made me grieve for her. And so I think if you're in a place where you don't know where to begin, look back at your childhood and think about what you really enjoyed doing as a child because there's some application for that as an adult. For me, I loved reading as a child. That still is my favorite thing to do it might be for others. It's going outside. It's going for a run. You know your favorite thing was gym class. Well, then you'd probably really like an exercise class or something like that. Or look at the type of media that you're consuming. Are you doing a lot of home shows? Are you doing a lot of cooking shows? Are you interested in mysteries and and see if, what that application might be because the time that you are spending or the time that you've spent in the past can speak into what those passions would be, or at least passions to explore to see if those are a good fit for your life now.
0: I love those ideas. And I think, you know, we can take that list as we're making it maybe throughout the day. You know, I would even say I challenge everyone of you listening that feels like you're in that place to just go grab a piece of paper right now, carry it with you for the rest of the day. And every time you find something that, you know, kind of fills you or every every time you think through something that Jessica has mentioned, like a show that you like to watch, that sort of thing, jot it down and see what happens by the end of today. And tomorrow morning, take that piece of paper into your quiet time and just be like, okay, Lord, you know, would you start revealing to me the things that you made me for the things that I, I am actually passionate about? And maybe I don't even know it yet. You know, Um, so I I encourage those of you listening to do that to to not just listen to Jessica's ideas, but to take action on them. Because I think that's such a great way for us to figure out what we are passionate about. And I love all of her ideas for how we can kind of make room for um, in our lives for more of the Lord in the morning for more of our passions and for the things that he's called us to Jessica, uh, will you tell us where people
1: can find you online and where they could get a copy of your book? Sure. Well, Stretch Too Thin is available wherever books are sold. Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all of those good places. We've got links to all of that on thinbook.com. You can find me on Instagram at Jessica N, that's for Nicole, Jessica N. Turner, or on my book account, Book Snobbery. I'm also Jessica N. Turner on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash themomcreative. Awesome. Jessica, thank you so much for fitting us into your lunchtime
0: right now, and I hope you enjoy your Panera
1: lunch Thank you. In a Thank
0: you. <laughs> All right. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: It's early in the morning. The house is quiet, but I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble to be a God day, a God day filled with His grace, His grace and sweetness.
0: This song is called God Day by Jen Stanbro. You can get your copy at iTunes, Amazon, or jenstanbro.com.